Bernard Shaw was an Irish play playwright. And in fact, very successful, he won a Nobel Prize for Literature. This is way back in the first part of the 20th century. He had a relationship, a platonic relationship, with Mrs. Patrick Campbell, an actress, who similarly had some fame on the British stage. And she wrote to him once, Darling George, let us be married. Just think, our children will have my looks and your brains. George wrote back, Darling Pat, have you considered that our children may have my looks and your brains. The reading this morning is Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 40. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present, circum present crisis, sorry, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. And those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. 
An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can praise the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting on in years and feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much for those two readings. If you could tone me down a bit, <laughs> wonderful. Well, if you're new or visiting, you've come to the last part of a series that we've been in as a church over the last five weeks, looking at sexual identity and what the Christian worldview is in a culture that has many differing opinions as to its central place. Excuse me a moment. And we've been working through 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, which deals with a number of issues. And last week, Mike and Rachel gave us a wonderful encouragement to dig into and understand the gift of marriage, how to cause it to flourish, how to guard it and protect it, and how to encourage others in that. Well, this morning, I have the great privilege of talking about another gift, the gift of singleness. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you might afresh speak for your servants listen. Lord, give us understanding, give us clarity. May our affections be changed and warmed towards you and our lives be equipped for your service. In your name we ask. Amen. Well, I want to start by saying the gift of singleness, I know for many, isn't seen as a gift at all. In fact, if it's a gift, it's the gift that you really want to return to sender. It's that type of gift that is like the proverbial itchy Christmas jumper that you've been given by your grand, that you grit and smile and you bear it, but you don't really want it. For many in the room, that may be true. And especially, actually, when it comes to the Christian worldview and the place of sex in that. Because as we've been saying over the last few weeks, that 
God's right and proper place for sexual expression is in the context of heterosexual marriage. And because of that, many Christians I know who are single have found that they feel that they are of lesser importance, lesser uh, fulfillment, and almost a lesser state of being. And the question I want to ask this morning, is it true that singleness is a gift? And how can that be true? Well, the culture around us answers that question with a resounding no, it is not a gift. Actually, the best is relationship, the best is sex. There is a recent article on the BBC News website that did a study on uh, Japanese culture, and it had this shocking title, Japanese young people not having sex! Exclamation mark. Complete shock that actually the young people in Japan weren't getting into relationships and weren't having sex. In the 90s and the noughties, I always hate using that word, but it's the right description, the nation was gripped by the fight of Bridget Jones against singleness. You'll remember it. You'll remember that she longed for some kind of Colin Firth-like figure or a Hugh Grant-type figure in some so that she can finally go to those dinner parties with smug married couples and not be asked, so why aren't you married yet? Tick-tock goes the biological clock. The hit movie 40 Days and 40 Nights, which some of you will have watched, I'm not going to ask you to fess up to that, has the subtitle in the advertising, One Man is About to Do the Impossible, No Sex for 40 Days and 40 Nights. An impossible, improbable, silly challenge that shouldn't be attempted. One recent book claims on its cover that single people might be the most reviled sexual minority today. I'm not sure I agree with that, but it's quite a claim. And on this issue, the church hasn't always been helpful, let me say. It's flip-flopped on the idea of singleness. It's interesting that for the first 1,500 years of the Christian church, singleness was lauded and highly venerated. Singles actually used to sit at the front of church and marrieds were sent to the back. <laughs> but then after the Reformation, 1517, it actually swapped. The marrieds were put at the front and the singles were sent to the back. We know that in the early church, singleness was venerated to such a high level that many church fathers did some crazy things to stay single. There's one called Ogden who actually castrated himself to make sure that he stayed single and pure because he knew that that was best. Saint Augustine, perhaps one of the greatest theologians in the Christian tradition, taught that actually sex was an awful act that perpetuated original sin, a necessary but evil thing, and actually probably better was singleness. But actually in the modern church today, the pendulum has swung to the other end of the spectrum. Sex and singleness is thought of in very negative ways that actually it's an awful thing to be single because of a lack of sex and relationship. 
My own experience of this has been amplified by being a Christian minister. And actually that look of shock and surprise when they find out, oh, you're single and you're a vicar. What's going on? What's going on? I spoke recently to one bishop's wife, a well-known bishop's wife, because I move in those kind of circles. And, <laughs> and she, asked, she asked me, so do you, do you have family at home? And I said, no, I'm, I'm single. And then she re- reacted with shock and said this, poor you, I'm sure there's someone out there for you. Yes, thank you, thank you. (laughs) I think the reason for this attitude is that singleness is often defined by what it isn't, that it is a lack of sex, a lack of marriage, and therefore a lack of fulfillment. But as we'll see in just a moment, the Bible has a very different attitude to it. Now, before we dig into our passage, you might be here and you are married and you might say to yourself, oh, what, why should I bother listening at this moment? I'm not single anymore. I, those days are behind me and hopefully not in front of me. Or let me say that there are two key reasons why you need to hear this very clearly. Firstly, and very sadly, and I want to say this gently, the likelihood is that half of the married people here will be single again. Actually, one of you in your couple will outlive the other. Sadly, that's likely to be true. And secondly, as we'll read in this passage, this book, 1 Corinthians, was addressed to the entire church, both married and singles, together. Because actually everyone needed to know about this stuff. And everyone needed to know the stuff about marriage. And everyone needed to know the stuff about singleness. Because the church is a body. And the different parts of that body need to know about the other parts, need to be able to support and care and see the right place and role for each and every member. And that should be true of us here at St. Jude's. You may be married, but you will know single people and that actually you need to be walking with them and they need to be walking with you and you are one body, one church. Well, having said that, from this passage, just a couple of things that Paul brings out for us about the positive value that singleness is a gift. And the first is this, that actually it's a gift because singleness is a sign. Singleness is a sign. At the very heart of our passage and the whole of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul repeats a maxim six times. He says, everyone should stay as they are. For married people, that's a matter of sin, as we talked about, that you should not seek to divorce. It's a matter of holiness. But for singles, he says the same. You should stay as you are. He doesn't say it's a matter of sin or not. He says, actually, it's a matter of wise living. That's why he prefaces our reading today, verse 25. I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as to one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He's saying, this isn't a sin issue, but I think you should still hear what I have to say on this, that singles should stay as they are. And even if it isn't a sin issue, how can Paul say something that outrageous? Well, he tells us why in three key verses in what follows. Verse 26, he says this, because of the present crisis, or other translations, the present circumstances, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. And then verse 29, he explains, what I mean, brothers, is that the time 
is short. And then skipping down to verse 31. For the world in its present form is passing away. You see, Paul and others expected the soon return of Christ, the age to come when that happened, and that they were to make the most of the time before that happened, bringing the gospel to the nations and precipitating Christ's return. And singleness in this understanding is a sign like no other, that the kingdom of God is near, it's very near, and that you can choose singleness over marriage for a time or for a lifetime because of its soon coming. Well, today, of course, Christ has not returned. But the truth is that his return is closer today than it was yesterday. Martin Luther once says that we're to live as if Christ died yesterday, was raised this very morning, and was coming again tomorrow. That we're to have this worldview in mind that Paul talks about here. And with that worldview... Singleness is a sign that even though the world carries on as normal, there's more to it than meets the eye. That There's deeper realities at work which singleness points to as a soon fulfillment of its forecoming. And I just want to highlight a couple of those. The first thing that singleness points to as a sign is the sufficiency of Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He claims to be all sufficient for our deepest fulfillment. But note what he doesn't say there. He doesn't say whoever comes to me and is married will never hunger. He doesn't say whoever believes in me and is married will never thirst. Marriage and sex actually don't come into it. Jesus claims to be all-sufficient for true fulfillment. And singleness, I think, points to this like nothing else. Personally, I've talked to many people in the church context who are parents of adult children who are very happy because they say, my children are sorted. It's wonderful. Or unhappily, occasionally, one of them say, one sorted, but the other one isn't sorted. And by that, they mean married. My children are sort of, they're married. Or no, they're not quite sorted yet because one of them isn't married. I just want to say to you, that is a complete lie. They're sorted if they have found Jesus. That is what makes them sorted. Nothing else. Nothing else. And if you're single here, and that's been said to you, do not believe it. That is fake news. That is wrong. That is a lie. Jesus is all-sufficient for fulfillment. I think the case and point in this is Christ himself. The Bible says that he was completely and is completely human and perfectly so. Perfect and complete humanity. And he, of course, is single. Single in his ministry and awaiting his bride to come. And if that means that he's lacking something in terms of complete humanity, actually you're committing a very grave heresy. And the early church would have poured anathemas on you. Christ is perfect in every way, including his humanity, and single. 
just pointing us towards the fact that the true sufficiency and fulfillment in life is found not in relationships here on earth, wonderful as they may be, but in that wonderful, loving, lasting relationship we will have forever. Well, that's the first sign that it points to, the sufficiency of Christ. And the second one that singleness points to is the real meaning of marriage. Sounds like a contradiction, but it's true. In the uh, fashion comedy film Zoolander, again, I'm not going to ask who's watched it, it's a bit of a ridiculous film that has the premise that the more good-looking you are, the more stupid you are, which is, of course, offensive to many of us. (laughs) There's a scene at the end of the film where Derek Zoolander, the main character, is shown a model of a school to be built. And he looks at the model and gets really, really angry and says this, what is this, a centre for ants? How can we be expected to teach children how to learn to read if they can't even fit inside the building? He mistakes the model for the reality. That's often what happens with marriage as well. We mistake the model for the reality. And singleness actually points this out. In our first reading, we heard about Jesus' argument with the Sadducees, and he reveals a gospel truth that I know, actually, a many married a couple struggles with, that no one is married in heaven. That marriage really is till death you do part, but death really does part you. And that seems very cruel until you realize that that is because human marriage according to Ephesians 6, is just given as a temporary model for the real thing, the divine marriage, Christ to us, his people, the marriage of marriages, the wedding of weddings to come, which we greater in experience than any earthly marriage. And Christian singleness points that out, that it's possible, it really is possible to forego temporary marriage here on earth because of the prospect, the delight of the one that's going to come that is forever, which we taste in advance now. And this sign helps us to not make marriage an idol, to not make it an idol. And it also helps make sense of a world where not everyone gets to be married who wants to be, sometimes through reasons outside their own control, because everyone will get to share in that marriage to come. Well, that's the first thing from this parish, that this passage that singleness is a sign. The second way that singleness is a gift is that singleness, and I want to say this very gently, singleness is simpler. It's simpler. Verse 32, Paul moves on and says this, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And in verse 34, he says the same thing to women about their husbands. The same point. Marriage is complicated, leading to extra concerns and troubles, whilst singleness is simpler. We don't often talk about this in church, the disadvantages of marriage and the advantages of singleness. We actually often talk the opposite way around. But it's true. Most of my close friends are married, and I love them, and I love spending time 
with their kids very much. And there are times when I'm in that family home, spending time with them, I think, oh, this would be wonderful. Loving family, wonderful kids. I'd really like this. But I have to say there are also times when I say to myself, I am so glad (laughs) that I don't have to deal with World War III that's just kicked off that I can make an exit stage left and pray from a distance and bless them. (laughs) Singleness is much simpler. The cost in terms of emotion and energy and time is much less. And that actually in turn should lead to blessing in other places. Well, I think that simplicity of singleness will result in fruit in three key areas. First one, it should result in fruit in, is the area that Paul mentions here, the area of devotion and our devotional lives. That it's easier if you're single to have undivided devotion to the Lord. Your emotional energy, time and affections can be more directed to Jesus because there's less competing for it. And this ought to be a real challenge for single people here in the room. Do you make the most of this blessing? Many of us will know married people who have to get up way before they want to in the morning because of their kids. Do you get up before you want to because of the Lord, I wonder? The same time spent by some changing nappies and soothing tantrums and ferrying kids. Do you spend in union and communion with the Lord, that secret place of prayer? I'm challenged by this by some of my married friends, actually. I've got a friend who has recently, through unplanned measures, <laughs> received three kids under the age of three. And he is busy. I thought I knew what busyness looked like until I saw his life and his family at the moment. And yet, through it all, his devotional life hasn't slipped, but actually it's got deeper as he's had to rely on the Lord a lot more. And I've just been changed by that, because in the same period of time, my devotional life hasn't deepened by the same amount. And I've had all the time in the world in comparison. Singleness should lead to the ability to have greater devotion to the Lord. The second way that singleness and its simplicity is a blessing is that it leads to a greater capacity for relationships. But whilst marriage can mean great depth of relationships, so husband and wife or parent and child, singleness should lead to greater breadth of relationship, more in number. Depth is replaced by breadth. And the best example of this in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. In Romans 16, he writes to a church that he's never actually been to. He didn't plant it and he's planning to go in the future. And he says goodbye at the end of the letter, and he mentions 25 different people by name as people that he knows and loves and is praying for and encouraging. 25 people in a city he's never been to, that he's just formed a huge capacity and network for relationships. That was both to support him in his ministry, but also It was for the means of propagation of the gospel. He sought to make as many friends as possible to bring about the kingdom of God. And if you're here and you're single, I want to encourage you, make as many friends as possible. You have been given the blessing of great breadth of relationships. 
do it so that they can be a supportive and vibrant community around you and do it because you want to see some of them saved and you want to see all of them furthered in their walk with Christ. Great blessing of capacity for relationships. And lastly, the simplicity of singleness brings about blessing in service, in service to others. One of the greatest dangers of singleness is self-centeredness. There's no one in the house to challenge you not to live for yourself sometimes, to challenge you not to eat all the cake. And the best way to counter this temptation towards self-centeredness is to give yourself actually in service to others and to the Lord. I think that's the key reason why the two New Testament figures, greatest figures, the two key figures, Jesus and Paul, were single. A key reason was that they could therefore pour out their lives for others in service. And for us, however long singleness might be, use it to serve others. Don't use it to beat your married friends in completing the latest box set and ruining the ending for it. Don't use it like that. Use it to serve the least, the last, and the lost, to serve others in a way that you can do uniquely. And let me end with a story about this. The Moravian Church was an early Protestant church in Central Europe who sent out missionaries across the world and often sparked revivals in those places as a result. In fact, they're part of the background as the last great revival here in this country under Whitfield and the Wesleys. And there's a story told of a group of them hearing about an island off the coast of America that was just inhabited by slaves who had been put under bondage to work there. And they had never heard the gospel. No one had told them about Jesus. And the church was just gripped with compassion, asking, what can we do? They couldn't buy these slaves out of bondage. They couldn't afford to do that. And the slave owners refused to receive their missionaries. And so actually two men amongst them, single men, made a radical decision. They took a boat and sailed to that island. When, when they got there to the shores, they went up to the slave owner, owner and they actually sold themselves willingly into slavery. All for the means of being able to share the gospel with the slaves on that island. And guess what? It worked. It worked. Nearly every single one of those slaves to a person was saved because those two single men made that radical decision. I know what the Lord has blessed me with. I know how I can use this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to serve these people, serving the Lord through the gift of singleness. And if you're here and you're single, I wonder if you could serve the Lord like that. And if you're here and you're not, I wonder if you could encourage others to devote themselves to the Lord like that. Well, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for all that we've been considering over these past five weeks, all that you've been instructing us through your word. We pray that these things would not easily leave us, but we might be renewed in our thoughts and mind. Please, Lord God, I pray especially this morning that as we've considered the gift of singleness, for those that are single, that they might richly 
enjoy its blessings. And for those of us who are married, that we might rightly understand and walk alongside and be with in the same body those who are single. We ask this in your name. Amen.